0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick.
0: So today I want to welcome Tom, who's a product manager from Starkware, and Will, who's the co-founder of Diversify, to the show. Hey, guys. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. So the the majority of this episode is going to be us exploring this collaboration between Starkware and Diversify. But before we jump into this, I actually want to kind of welcome back Will cuz you you actually were on the show last, I think it was like about a year ago. I guess a lot's changed.
1: Exactly a year ago, I think, we were in Berlin, and we talked mainly about DEXs. uh, And of course, yeah, the DEX space has changed a lot in the last year. But also, I started a new company, Diversify, which was specifically to create a really scalable, you know, high throughput DEX. And previously, uh, it was known as f Trustless. So in particular, uh, we were spun out of Bitfinex and had focused on yeah, you know, building a proof, a, a prototype, proof of concept for doing self custody trading, um, and Diversify is really kind of the the, the sort of child of that project, um, but in a much more sort of serious and scalable way for kind of now being able to really handle at high speeds uh, many many traders.
0: And you've actually incorporated some zk into it, which is cool through this through this collaboration. Now, I should say. Our listeners may have heard your name mentioned by me because Will and I have also we founded a company together, a separate company, not Diversify, <laughs> and that is the zk validator that I've mentioned a couple times. I wonder, actually, Will, like because like, do you feel like that in a weird way influenced your interest in zero knowledge stuff, or were you already into it before?
1: I think it was definitely, you know, I, I, I was. It was definitely a theme that I was interested in, but probably even a year ago, I saw this as a bit of a, an opportunity to really dive deeper into the into the topic. And certainly, you know, in retrospect, it's almost felt like a, you know, very lucky that we ended up, you know, do, doing that together separately, as well as, you know, diversify, ending up working with Starkware to kind of have the crossover and see the full spectrum of, of ZK. So for anyone who isn't familiar
0: with the ZK Validator, I have actually mentioned it a couple times on the show, but it's the purpose of the ZK validator is the idea here is that we can actually validate on different networks and use any of the rewards or the commission on the rewards to promote or you know be advocates for privacy on those networks. And so this is kind of a very unique validator proposition, which is focused more on one particular kind of research than anything else.
1: That's kind of the, the beauty of what ZK validator is doing is that by participating in these proof-of-stake networks and trying to actively encourage research and the right mindset around making sure that actually exactly what we're doing on Ethereum with Starkware in terms of scaling an application for a much wider number of users can be done on these future proof-of-stake networks. So for example, Cosmos and Polkadot, where ZK Validator is now active, will hopefully be able in, in quite a short amount of time to support applications just like Diversify and other scalable layer two solutions.
0: I mean, one day, actually, Will, I'd love to do a whole episode. <laughs> maybe not a whole episode on us, but I'd love to have a chance to talk more about it. But this episode is really about the work that you've been doing with Starkware. So you've just given a quick brief to the listeners about what Diversify is. And even though we've had Ellie on and Alessandra on from Starkware, Tom, maybe you can share a little bit about what Starkware is.
2: So Starkware is, I think, almost two and a half years old company, which was funded by uh, four co-founders, Professor Eli Ben-Sasson, P- Professor uh, Alessandro Chiesa, I think it was by now a doctor, Michael Ryabtsev, and uh, our CEO, Uri Kolodny, and a technology company which develop and implement a full stack of uh, proofing systems. In our main goal is to um, solve the two uh, most critical problems on the blockchain which is privacy and scaling using uh, proof systems now i'm not sure if your uh, audience is familiar with zero knowledge proofs but <laughs> they <laughs> they gladly zero knowledge proofs in in my opinion can solve those two problems by uh, privacy by using the zero knowledge part and and scaling by using the fact that the proofs are uh, logarithmic in, in the size of the computation and our first partnership and our first product is Diversify and the Stark X, which is a self-custodial layer two Stark-based exchange. Cool.
0: So as a follow-up to that, though, I want to hear a little bit more about you and how you got to this you know, position and the work that you're doing at Starkware.
2: Sure. So my name is Tom. I'm working at Starkware for almost two years now. At the product group, I'm in charge of the collaboration with Diversify and also I do a research research on uh, protocols which I researched the connection or the integration of of proof systems uh, into blockchains.
0: Cool. Did you study this kind of stuff before? Like, how did you get to this point?
2: Uh, It's a good question. So I first studied uh, physics and mathematics and I worked uh, in this field for almost six years. And then I somehow, I guess a lot of people are, uh, uh, came into this uh, topic the same way, but I stumbled into Bitcoin and it, like, it captured me or fascinated me. So um, I decided to do a master uh, in computer science and specifically research this topic. Somehow, I stumbled across uh, Eddie Ben Sasson's uh, office. It's, 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 a, it's a more complicated story. But anyway, he agreed to to, to, uh, to be my advisor on my thesis, and, and I did the research on, on those topics, specifically on proof-of-stake protocols. And then I landed on StarCore after that.
0: Wow, but you like you got interested in Bitcoin and blockchain and then jumped to like the forefront of all this stuff, right? <laughs> kind of skipped a few steps or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually my uh, education on computer science was mainly through blockchain. So, I mean, a lot of the things which, for example, for my colleagues in Starkware, which have a very deep background in computer science, find very strange in blockchains. For me, it's like, this is the way... I was introduced to computers, oh, wow. so in many sense, uh, those those stuff make a lot of sense to me.
0: Cool. So let's talk about this collaboration and what exactly you've built, because in the past, like we've heard of zk rollups, we've heard of you know optimistic rollups and and dexes, but like what is the Starkware Diversify collaboration exactly?
1: Diversify is aiming to offer high-speed exchange that it looks and feels if you're if you're happy with that like a centralized exchange in terms of speed performance privacy but where ultimately you have the the knowledge and ability to verify that every trade every action that you're taking is cryptographically proven and at the kind of end of the process essentially proven directly to maintain ethereum where we at least because all the assets also issued on that have and trust the economic guarantees that it gives us. What that sort of means is that, from a customer point of view, they're interacting with Diversify. But once uh, they're sort of signing orders, for example, so every single action that they take, they sign with a key that they own. We, on, on, sort of on, on our back end, sort of once, a, let's say a trade happens, send these to Starkware, who generate a Stark proof, and submit that directly to the blockchain. So. Essentially, what we've kind of done is is move the exchange one layer up off Ethereum so that everything's happening off the blockchain. But in between the two, we have this proof system, which is what's built by Starkware and really gives the kind of ability to suddenly allow us to have tens of thousands of trades, hundreds of thousands of trades potentially um, every minute, rather than just sort of the much smaller throughput you can get through through the blockchain with other DEXs and long term that means sort of more efficient trading and the ability to get much better price discovery and bring in a much bigger and sort of more mainstream set of traders than is currently using dark custodial exchanges.
0: I want to I want to understand a little bit what this actually looks like under the hood like is it I mean when you when you talk about this I I automatically go to like the ZK roll-up model of like a batching system where you have like all these transactions, and then a single proof being written on chain. I, I'm really curious to hear, though, like, how do you describe the system? How is it actually working under the hood?
2: Sure. What costs today on Ethereum are three things. One is computation, the other one is storage, and, and the last one is transmission or call data, the way it's called in Ethereum. The basic notion of, of Layer 2 solution is, is to take off the chain some of those parts, and but still maintain the security of, of the mainnet. And the way we do it is that we batch together a bunch of transactions that happen off-chain. Diversify sends them to us and we create from them a batch. And then for this batch, we create a proof. And basically what this proof is saying is that three things. One is that for each transaction, we saw a valid signature. Uh, The second one is that uh, the user had enough balance in their accounts to do this transaction. And the last one is that after we applied all the uh, the the updates to the user balances. This is the Merkle root, and we commit it to the chain.
0: Hmm. So like the first two parts, the fact that you saw a valid signature and the user had the correct balance or enough tokens in their account to be able to make this transaction. That sounds a lot like Zcash and the Stark the SNARKs that they're using to basically prove every transaction. The Merkle root proving to the other chain, though, is potentially where it. Diverges,
2: I guess. Um, it's it's actually very similar because also in Zcash you have uh, a Merkle tree. Uh, 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 the, the main difference with Zcash is that uh, in Zcash it's a UTXO based uh, uh, blockchain, right? Yeah. So what do you what do you actually prove is that you know a commitment, which for this commitment you know a valid UTXO. And you prove that you know this commitment because the, the Merkle root is part of the of the block. Itself. Of the block in Ziggish, yeah, right? exactly. So in, in, in a sense, it's very similar, right? Because you don't actually store the, the state of the commitment tree on the blockchain, but it's the state of the nodes, but you still can relate to it in a proof because it's part of the block. Mm. So it's very similar to what we're doing, only that we're not using UTXO, but we're using accounts, but the ability to relate to a state is is possible because we have the commitment on chain.
0: Got it. So but it's it's so the difference here is like you're also sitting on top of an existing blockchain. So you're, you know, writing to the Ethereum blockchain basically and also you are using Starks and not Snarks, I guess. <laughs> That's yes. That's a big difference too.
2: Yeah, it's a big difference and and, and also that the proof is not for a single transaction but for a batch of transactions. For a batch. Okay, yeah. got
0: it. And that's, I mean, the batching part is where it's very similar to the ZK rollup then.
2: Yeah, uh, what I described up until now is the same for what is being called today validium and ZK rollup. And if you remember, I said there are three things that that cost gas on Ethereum. So in both systems, we remove both storage and computation Mm off-chain. But where we differ is what we do with the transmission, right? So in ZK rollup, you post the transaction, the necessary data to reconstruct the state as part of, of, of the data of the transaction on chain. It is, not, it, it is not part of the storage of the EVM, but it is part of the transaction. And in Validium, you, you don't do it. And instead, what you do is that you uh, provide, along with the proof, an attestation from from a committee. And we can talk more about this committee uh, in a few minutes. An attestation from, from a committee that they have the necessary data to reconstruct the state.
0: I want to just point out, you're using this term validium. It's a really new term. And I think actually later on in this episode, we're going to start to talk about the quadrants and the types of these layer two um, scaling solutions. And hopefully we'll get a chance to dig in a little bit deeper on what that means. So to our listeners, don't worry, we're getting to it. (laughs) But just know that the Diversify Exchange is considered this validium style layer two solution. Okay, so I think we've we've kind of started to scratch the surface on like how this is working. You just mentioned a committee, and yes. I want to understand like where the committee actually lives in this in in everything you've just described. So is the committee
1: off chain? Yes, I think as Tom was just saying, really the the, the main method of creating these batches and submitting them on chain to prove a certain state. That's the same way, however you transmit the data about what the state is and, and one way you can do it. And I think the kind of simplest way potentially is just to put it all on chain uh, publicly as pool data. And that doesn't require this committee, basically, because at any point, any anybody who's used this or actually anyone else can reconstruct. And from the data that's been put on chain, what the state is and therefore see that the the state is valid and potentially check any future state transitions, but that means that, every, that all this data is public. And actually, you know, that's the case now with most decentralized exchanges on layer one Ethereum, but that actually doesn't meet the design requirements of what Diversify was aiming for with uh, private trading. And that's very important, particularly to, let's say, any larger trader who has a specific trading algorithm that they're they're making decisions based on where if they're giving away their trades, particularly over a long period of time, um, if they're making very high, you know, higher frequency trades, they're basically losing their strategy because it can be then, you know, seen, especially if it's profitable by anyone else and copy. And so we needed to make sure that that data wasn't on chain and that users could, you know, know that they're able to trade privately. And so this second option, which is to put the data off chain and held you know, somewhere else and in a second, like the committee as being the answer to that was the w- the way that we you know, had to go. And essentially these committee are real trusted or, or known organizations with reputations at stake who exist in this community, in this ecosystem, one of which is Starkware, another which is Diversify, but also a series of other sort of well-known brands like Infura, Nethermind, Consensus, who, um most people at some level actually if you're using ethereum particularly through like you know a browser um where you're using metamask or whatever else sort of have anyway some sort of implicit trust in basically the solution is that they are always holding a copy of all users data and will sign any any state transition before it can be submitted to the blockchain which means that there's a guarantee that a certain number of these organizations always have a copy of the data. And if for any reason, sort of StarkWare or Diversify, you know, both disappeared at the same time, any of these organizations could publish all of that data to IPFS or, you know, also as pool data onto Ethereum. And that could then be used by every user of this system to withdraw their funds from Diversify and safely kind of uh, take them back to their wallet.
2: Two more committee members are Iclusion and Cephalopod, which are uh, also in the business of, uh, uh, proof-of-stake validators. Yeah, iClusion um, is
0: like Zeki's company. Uh, yeah, exactly. Company. Okay. And
2: Cephalopod is uh, Ethan's, uh, oh, Ethan's nice Buchmann, see. yeah.
0: Oh yeah, cool. Okay, like you just talked about kind of a worst case scenario if, you know, two of the entities disappear and you needed to potentially reclaim those tokens. But what about, like, where does it normally live? Like, does it live with you? Does it live with each of the committee members or?
2: So the committee member does not have any role in the standard uh, operation of the system. The user does not have any interaction with them and we just send them the, a copy of the data and receive a signature from them on the new state that they compute. But it, it is not necessary for the validity, it is not necessary for anything but the attestation that they have the data. So when a user normally wants to, to withdraw his funds, and this was your question, right?
0: Well, actually my question is where does the ledger live? That's what I'm actually asking. I'm like, where where does the record of all of
1: this live somehow? It's on a database that each of these members hold, including oh, it us. Is. Um, okay, and it's yeah, nice. constantly updated, and they then use this to compute the Merkle root and and sign that it's correct. Eventually.
0: I see. And each of the committee members would do that
2: on each batch.
0: Like, would one okay? Would it be like a committee member would do one batch, or each one does each batch?
2: All of them. All of them, each batch. Okay, so
1: there is a there is like a minimum quorum. So you know, if, if a few of them go offline, it can still proceed. But if you know, if there were, if nearly all of them go offline, basically the system would have to pause and wait for you know enough to come online to sign the next update. Okay,
0: so I know that like when this was released, the committee was a point of kind of like it was pointed out as something that sort of makes it a little bit less decentralized. How do you how do you kind of? take that? Like, is that, yeah. I, I mean, I assume that that was a trade-off that was made, well, it's like a purposeful decision.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that the, the cr- criticism was not about the decentralization, because in any case, other solutions can, can say many things, but now all the layer two solutions have a centralized operator. So it's not about decentralization, It's it's more about trust or more concretely about security risks. So what the attacks on the system described some way to, uh, uh, to use this committee in order to, to lower the security of the system. So this was the criticism. In the, uh, and I understand it, uh, but I think like any other uh, decision in the system, there, there are trade-offs. I mean, there are many things we already have a design for and want to do looking forward that can lower this risk. But since the fundamental requirement was that traders will have trading privacy, so this was the first solution we decided to go with. Got it.
0: So it's almost like this is potentially the first shipped version on a roadmap. I guess, and I understand what you're saying here. So it's not about decentralization for decentralization's sake. It's rather like when people want it, they want decentralization because there's no point of failure. You've created the committee to sort of mitigate having a central point of failure, but it's not all the way to being like completely mitigated or like, I mean, I'm sure it's mitigated enough, but
1: yeah. I mean, the thing is that what what this solution mitigates is for example, neither Diversify or Starkware could maliciously take users' funds and use them for any other purpose. We could never financially benefit from any you know, disaster scenario. E- essentially, what we've mitigated is, is these sorts of issues, but there are still scenarios where, for example, if we all go offline or you know, the data stuck where, fun- where funds can get lost, c- c- can get stuck, basically. And by having this committee, we've you know mitigated that, but not as much as if all the data was fully published on-chain, but it's still extraordinarily unlikely that you know these essentially sort of very well-known organizations who anyway you know are in the business as tom said with inclusion and cephalopod of essentially running proof of state systems you know at high availability are all going to go offline at the same time and not be able to you know mm-hmm. um to, to, to do that job so it, it's, a, it's a very good mitigation and by the way like i i think the you know the concerns are really interesting and things that will be improved on in the future as you said and it's part of the roadmap. but None of these concerns come from traders. That's you know, saying these are from you know, real decentralization um sort of experts who, of course, you know, want to see it improve, and so do we. But it probably does right now. I think actually solve exactly what traders need, and mm. anything else is almost a bonus to you know, the actual users of the system.
0: And this is this is significantly different from the centralized exchanges where there are central points of failure, or there could be central, very centralized malicious actors who could things to your funds this is already like a pretty big leap away from that it sounds like
1: yeah definitely and i think the i mean something i got really excited about just last week which i think is another sort of quite strong indicator of why DeFi and other Dex systems are going to start to you know continue and continue to grow was diversify launched now five weeks ago and we got insurance last week from nexus mutual which is you know this on ethereum like a staking system essentially where people can put ETH at stake on different smart contracts and if there's ever like a hack or breach or security incident with lost funds customers can get refunded and five weeks after launch this system is now insured up to a thousand ETH which you know seems maybe trivial but if you have to think about that that's something that no centralized exchanges or very very few centralized exchanges on any scale have ever achieved Mm -hmm. Um, and this is just you know starting point where it can continue to grow and that's because you know the way that the way that it's designed and the way that it's auditable and transparent on chain and despite the fact that yes there's you know some centralized points um means that it can actually be the risk can be quantified and it's a huge yeah difference cool
0: i want to move on to i want to talk a little bit more about starks themselves because we i mean so we've had Ellie and Alessandro on. I've actually had Ellie on twice to talk about Starks and Starkware. So there's some episodes that I can actually link to in the show notes if people want to dig in there. But what I want to find out about now is how Starks inform how this system functions, because as we understand, as I've always understood, um, Snarks and Starks differ in terms of proof size and verify or verification size, or sorry, rather, they differ in terms of proof time and verification time. So how does that actually change this system?
2: First of all, one more thing that they are, I mean, they're in their um, mathematical construction, mm-hmm. uh, which implies that one, they're in, in in their trusted setup or Stark does not have trusted setup and SNARK do have trusted setup, both in the universal trusted setup version or in the specific circuit, uh, trusted setup version. And also they differ in their uh, crypt- uh, cryptographic assumptions that they're using. So STARKs only need uh, collision resistance hash-, hash function, which is a very, very, how, how should I say it?
0: Well-researched and...
2: Yeah, it, 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 it's not exotic. It, it, it has a lot of, I mean, as Ellie stated it very nicely in his... Uh, Lecture and, and post—it has a lot of value on top of it. So, if someone will break this, then I mean, there's much more value currently, right, than the diversified system that they can take.
0: If if they could actually break collision-resistant hash functions, yeah.
2: So, and I I, I will go, I will get to the proof size because there is difference. But I mean, it's you need to to compare apples to apples, right? Yep. So okay, so so. It, but you're also right. There is difference in the proof size. So, for example, uh, the proofs that we are now uh, using to prove the uh, batches are on the order of uh, 40 kilobytes. And if, for example, you will look on the um, on the proof of uh, SNARK of Sapling of Zcash, then it's 200 bytes, right? So it looks a big difference. Mm-hmm. But actually, so let's say we want to 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 prove 300 uh, k transactions in a single proof, okay? So if, if if you will go to SNARK proofing system, then you are limited by the size of the circuit that you 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 created your trusted setup for. So you can't use one proof t- in order to prove this amount of transactions. So suddenly you need more proof, let's say, I don't know, 10. And and also if, if for example, we will look at the, on the proving system that uh, ZK Sync is using, uh, its name is Plonk. And their proof size is approximately and I hope I'm not wrong, but I think it's approximately one kilobyte. So so suddenly, for example, there might be statements that we can prove in one single proof, which will take, I don't know, 40 kilobytes, but they will need 10 proofs or even more proofs. So suddenly it becomes, I mean, it depends exactly what you're, uh, what you're comparing.
0: Mm. Is ZK Sync using Plonk? I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Okay, cool.
2: So and, uh, 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 like a naive comparison of, of the proof size really yield the, the fact that stark proofs are larger, but their ability to prove much bigger statements, I think mitigates it. And and it's not things that I, I can talk about them now, but in the coming month, we will have a very, I don't know, in my eyes, amazing improvements, which will, I mean, close this gap. Cool. Okay, so this is one thing. Now on the verification time, then I even don't think that this is correct. For example, uh, we released, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, uh, the ETH, uh, ETH Stark. If you're familiar with it, it's it's an open source prover that we uh, uh, were released as part of um, a project with the Ethereum Foundation, which proves a hash chain of uh, rescue, which is uh, some ha- Stark friendly proof. And I don't want to misquote the numbers, but we prove a lot of hashes in a very little time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I- I think it's something like 100k uh, hash chain in a 2.3 millisecond. But cool. again, I don't think there's any snark system that can uh, make this proof, and the verification time will be lower. So again, it's it's. I mean, there are many numbers which are quoted from the original academic papers, but when you actually go down to the to the engineering details and how you construct those systems, then the differences can 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 be very um, situational. Can you say it? Yeah. What I want to say is that we are at Starkware. We have no, um, like, a wedding with Starks. We are a technological company, and we want to solve problems. So once we will see that there is a better proof system, I mean, we have the the, the manpower and the and the all the things we need in order to move to those proof systems which will be better. Mm. So that we we don't have any stake in in Stark proving system and and. And we are also always keep on on evolving it. But once we will find something better, we will immediately switch for it. And and, and it might be the case that for for some things, one proof system will be better. And for other things, other proof systems, systems will be better. The way we see it now is that Starks has almost any advantage that you can
1: think of. Cool.
0: I want to ask sort of a question about the collaboration itself. Like how did these two organizations actually work together?
1: So I think the, the, I mean, the the kind of line between the two is pretty clear and self-explanatory almost. So essentially from, you know, from a customer perspective, there is no, there's almost, you know, there is no start almost. Um, So their their interaction is all with the smart contract on chain or with our APIs or user interface. And essentially all of the kind of sort of main exchange software, like, you know, these the website the user interface the apis through to the point where trades basically get matched or transactions get created in let's say diversify's database or diversify side actually i think the, the easiest parallel is to talk about the way that the platform used to work so you know when i last came on you know a year ago actually we were running what was then called FNX trust us it, it was a similar you know concept exchange but every single transaction when it was ready this is like a a trade for example we would send directly to Ethereum, and we would pay, you know, however much gas. Let's say 150,000 gas for that transaction. Uh, it would get accepted into the blockchain, and that and that's that would be the user's trade complete. But basically, that step where you know a transaction would get submitted to Ethereum. Instead of doing that, uh, we send it to like an API provided by Starkware, and from that point on, you know, everything along the journey is then Starkware's side of the system where they would collect, you know, eventually enough of these transactions to generate proof, um, and then broadcast it to Ethereum. So um, that's kind of yeah w- w- where the split is, and um, you know, in, in terms of also kind of and linking to you know the the, the efficiency point of view and the proof sizes. Basically, the, that old system compared to how it is now, you would have needed around it's only around twenty transactions for it to become more efficient using a batched proof because. Uh, beyond that point, basically, that even the cost to submit it to Ethereum becomes uh, cheaper.
0: Does the user? I mean, the user is still hooking up a wallet, though, right? Like, like they they don't their accounts. They own their accounts when they use yes. this system. So they link up their wallet to your to d- diversify. They make a trade. I'm kind of trying to follow that that route. Like, there's basically a smart contract that's been deployed that interacts with their wallet. I guess
1: so actually it's only at the point where you deposit and withdraw that you interact with the smart contract i see come along you deposit which is a transaction on chain where you send your funds to the smart contract and actually from from that point on all of your interactions are no longer with the blockchain because your funds are registered to you sort of in this off chain state and when the user what then wants to trade what they're essentially doing is saying i want to place an order in order to buy you know, 10 Ethereum at this price, uh, and they sign it with actually a, a separate key. Um, it's a key that's been linked to their Ethereum address, um, which was part of the kind of registration registration and deposits sort of step on chain. Um, the reason for that is that this particular key that they're using is more efficient in the in, in the sort of start proof that later used. And that piece of information that they then sign would get sent to diversify. We would determine if it, you know, would match with another order, basically by adding it to an order book and and having a matching engine that then, you know, connects to traders, one person selling, one person buying. And then having decided that would send basically that original information that the user signed to Starkware, which they can use, you know, this signed information to generate the proof.
0: Cool. And so what's yeah. happening? Like, I you I know you just described it kind of earlier on Tom, but like, let's follow that journey. So now it's at, it's with Starkware. What like it's, is it just sitting, like, is it the prover itself? Does it sit on your servers? Like, where is that? Where does that live? In the cloud. And that is, but this is like, a, this is basically creating the proof to validate that yes. those are correct. Yeah.
2: Yes, it's true. So as Will said, the only truth that we know is what Diversify sends us. So they send us a stream of transactions. At some point, we we decide either if there are enough transactions or enough time has passed to close a batch. This batch, actually, what it represents is a state transition, right? You, you transition from a specific state to, to a new state, which uh, represents the, all, all those uh, transactions taking effect. So for example, a deposit will mean I add tokens to the user balance. So withdraw mean I subtract tokens from the user balance. And a trade is, is just a, you know, a trade. So we close the batch, we generate uh, uh, the proof. As I said before, the proof attests to, to the validity of the batch, uh, the signatures, the balances that we've never used this transaction before. And then w- we send the proof and the state update on-chain. Cool. So, I mean, a self-custodial system is, is self-custody up to the point of, of its weakest uh, link, right? So if I have a perfect self-custody system, but the user does not know what what it's signing on, so anything else is meaningless because I can I can give it whatever I want to sign, right? Uh, so the wallet is, is a really big part. Right? If you truly want a self-custodial system, you need the wallets to be fully integrated. Um, so we, we both Diversify and, and Starkware uh, put a lot of effort into this um, specific topic. So for example, as Will said, we, we have a slightly different uh, signature mode. So we worked together with Ledger to insert uh, all the necessary parameters to their firmware and to integrate our all our methods into their native ethereum app so a ledger user now can use the diversify system and he treat and just truly see the confirmation it, it doesn't see just uh, sign this blob of data but w- when when you want to do an order then ledger show a confirmation of an order and exactly what the user is signing on mm. um, and this is also true uh, hopefully soon for uh, argent and we have a lot uh, more coming so for us it was very important to 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 have a true, not just to have um, in browser wallet, but to have a, a truly integration with the with the users wallets.
0: Cool. Okay, so when when it came out, there was a whole conversation around kind of a like, what are the different kinds of layer two solutions? Is it a zk yeah. rollup? Does it fall under that umbrella term? Does it have something else? Is it using optimistic ideas? Like, wh- basically this like all of the different layer 2s came back on the table and people felt that they needed to redefine a little bit where they fell. And the axes that they seemed to be working on was whether the data was on-chain or off-chain and whether it's doing validity proofs or fault proofs. So yes. maybe we can talk a little bit about this um I don't know what to call it, it's like a table Shh. or these these axes and where your solution falls.
2: So I think the the, the conversation about it uh, or the discussion about it actually started a week before we launched, and it was this week we Stark were we demonstrated the the like the migration of of a full subreddit into Ethereum, and then the question was asked: what, what you've just demonstrated was it a zk rollup or was it some undefined system which doesn't have the data on chain? And and, and what we demonstrated was with the data off-chain, and and so the community said, and I think it was uh, it was correct to say that this needs to have a proper name. So the name Validium came up. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you've said, there is there are two axes, and in the very naive descriptions of the systems, uh, you have validity proofs and fraud proofs, and on the different on the second axis you have data on-chain or data off-chain. Okay, so I guess. That the first uh, system which were in which was in uh, research was fraud proofs with data off chain, and their name was Plasma. Yeah. Right. You have a single operator, and and those systems required very uh, complicated exit games because you had to prove with the data off chain that the operator was somehow malicious. In, in so so this was the first. Then I don't know exactly the order, but. Uh, I, fraud proofs with data on chain are called the optimistic rollups. Mhm.
0: So that you've um, just described that. So fault proofs if you're just looking in that category, you have plasma which yeah. is off-chain and optimistic rollup which is on-chain.
2: Yes, exactly. And here for example, you have uh, Arbitrum which I think falls in this category. And here again, it, it, you publish data on chain, so in some sense it is it's, it is supposed to be simpler. But still, you have you need some kind of fraud proof mechanism to to prove an invalid state transition, right? This is what you what you use the fraud proofs for. What did you just what is um, the
0: term? You just said the Arbitrum. Is that a product? That's a project, right?
2: Yeah, it's a project. Okay, that does um,
0: optimistic.
2: Yes, I think I think they were they existed even before it was called optimistic rollup. But see. this is basically what what they're doing, and in in uh, validity proofs, then you don't need to you don't have this problem of invalid state transition, transitions, right? Because you can't move to an invalid invalid state because you won't be able to generate a proof to it. The, originally, the the uh, I think it was described by Vitalik in a post in its Research. Um, so you had ZK rollup, which was using validity proofs and data on chain. Um, and what we opted for was 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 use, was the uh, putting data off chain and using a committee. And for this family of uh, solutions, uh, the name Validium came up.
0: So again, in this case, we're looking at the validity proofs and the two kinds. You have the data yeah. on chain, which equals zk rollup, and you have the data off chain, which equals this new category Validium. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: So I think it's interesting as well to think about also the difference between the fraud proofs and the validity proofs. In terms of a trading as an application, because obviously there's different trade-offs where each of these, you know, different scaling solutions make sense. But particularly for trading systems where the amount of value at stake in quite a short period of time can be very high, particularly if you have you know large traders operating with big price moves, and you don't want to have the risk of of, of potential rollbacks or changes where the game theory also becomes more complex. That you know, the higher the value, it that's at stake and the faster it's changing. So it is a really strong push, I think, towards validity proofs in particular for this application. You know, from a diversified point of view as well, thinking back to, you know, a year and a half ago now, when we were first considering different layer two solutions, um, there's a very strong sort of push towards at least, you know, that that kind of right-hand side of the, of the quadrants um, with validity proofs as opposed to fault proofs.
0: Yeah, that, that actually makes sense. And going back to the fault proofs, In the case of, like, say we take that exact example that you just used of, like, large trades. If you were doing it with fault proofs, what you basically have is, I mean, there's sort of, you could potentially do one of these large trades that was sort of wrong. And it would take some time for that to to possibly be rolled back, right? Like, it's this after-the-fact kind of game theory that would, like, have to correct something rather than what you're doing where it's, like, it must be correct before... It's written.
2: It, it just can't be invalid. Okay. Yeah, we can't prove something that either the user didn't sign on, on we, we can't prove a state which was not updated correctly. It's just not possible mathematically.
1: So it'll never be rolled well back. So wait,
0: what I just said is that basically correct?
2: No, it's true, and uh, this is why. This is why. So, for example, in our in our system, you have finality when when the proof reaches the blockchain, right? Because, because then the state transition to a new state. In fraud proofs, you don't have this kind of, of finality because you have to allow users to verify the, the state, understand there is a, a, an invalid state transition, and then start to reconstruct the fraud proof. And then there is some kind of uh, uh, exit game on the blockchain which needs to to to, to occur. So, for example, for some Optimistic roll-up designs, which were described, the, the finality time for a state to be actually finalized was two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Like, like not just days, but potentially like a, quite a bit of time, which is worrisome if you're using if you're like dealing with large sums that potentially have something wrong.
2: Exactly, and, and and there's a lot of game theory analysis to those kind of systems because it's very hard to mathematically prove it. Right? It's 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 game theory in its basis. So. Uh, it, it's very hard to make arguments um, for very large amount at stake.
0: Okay, so actually, we're at the point now where I feel like we've really nicely mapped out uh, these kind of different quadrants and stuff, and I think maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about what's coming up because you have a project in the works, as I understand it, which actually tries to to bridge that on-chain off-chain. I want to hear a little bit about this.
2: Okay, so there are lo- there are a lot of things going on and which will come to the future and l- I mean let's try to take it one by one. So sure. we talked about data availability, and I think there are two two major improvements that we can offer in the near future in this uh, in this area. One is it's called volition and this is a solution which basically um, is a hybrid between validium and ZK rollup in the sense that the user can choose whether its data will be on chain or off chain right so the user can choose whether it wants to pay a premium and uh, does uh, uh, not have the risk of, of what we at the beginning of the episode described as uh, uh, some worst case scenario with, with the committee or it can it can choose um, to have his data off chain and, and and have the full scaling capabilities of the system
0: would one of these would one of those options be faster like if you're doing on chain is it in any way no you just
2: you have to pay for the data that you that you send on chain okay and 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 the nice thing about it is that you can choose it per transaction i mean it's not a, a, a choice you make uh, when you register to the system, but it can be a dynamic decision. For example, a big trader can can say, generally, I mean, I don't know. At night, when I'm not trading, I want to have my my funds stored in the on-chain data part, and then I don't pose any risk. But when I'm trading, I I will transfer them to the off-chain data part, have my trades in in a in a, a very cheap uh, system, and once I finish trading, I I will transfer them back to the to the on-chain data part. Mm. So, so this is one improvement, um, and the other improvement that I can um, I, I will hint about, but I, I won't describe exactly because we still haven't published it. But as we have mentioned at the beginning, the decision to go with data off chain was 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 because of uh, uh, trading privacy, right? So right now there's no solution, or at least there's no widely known solution to to ha- to both have data on chain and maintain privacy. So another Solution might go down this route. You can have data on chain, but still uh, maintain privacy of the traders.
0: Mm-hmm. There so is, is something there. I don't know if you've heard of this. There is the zk zk rollup, but I don't think it's implemented at all yet. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's the private zk rollup.
2: Exactly. Version. So so we have this this design, and what's nice about this design is that it has benefits both if we choose to have data off chain and on chain. On-chain, it's very clear, right? You can have the security but lose your uh, trading strategies. But off-chain, you also have a lot of benefits because now you can suddenly have a much uh, wider committee because one problem with the committee is that they know all the user's data. So you have to be very careful and have very strict rules on what they do with this data. Mm. But once you make this data private, then uh, you have less problem with uh, expanding the committee.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah, right now you need the committee members to be somehow trusted because they do have sort of some sight into what's actually happening. Whereas going forward, you could potentially expand out the committee because you're actually going to make it like unviewable by each member. So they wouldn't be able to be malicious.
1: Yeah, in, in the ideal case, every large trader becomes a committee member and holds all the data at which point, um, you know, and, and the smaller traders don't care as much. So, I mean, really, both of these two solutions end up pretty much meaning that as a customer, you have the full range of choice over whether, you know, how much you care about your security and your privacy and where, where you want your own trade-off to be. Um, and, of course, you know, that there can be defaults, but basically you're saying to the customer, it's up to you, whatever you want.
2: Yes, and, and I think that, cool. I mean, if we think that Ethereum and the uh, financial activity on Ethereum will be what we hope it will be. And it will, I don't know, expand to a, a worldwide, I mean, it is it is worldwide, but let's say mainstream, uh, I don't know how to say it. And very, uh, if we want to have...
0: Big adoption.
2: Uh, yeah, big adoption, <laughs> then opting for the data on-chain solution just does not hold, right? Because it it is a short-term solution, but we must keep... Researching what what solutions we can afford that allows us to to have a logarithmic scale, meaning that the amount of of resources that we consume on chain grows logarithmically with the with the amount of of transactions we do off chain because otherwise we want to be able even even if we go from i don't know three trades per second which was before uh layer two solutions to i don't know three hundred trades per second which what ZK rollup can, can give you today, this is really, this is not enough.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting yeah. point in that already, you know, the, the size of the state on Ethereum is already too big. And even though, yes, you're mm. down, down the amount of data you need to put on with on-chain data for ZK rollups, it's still actually, you know, potentially gonna grow way too big if there's ever huge adoption.
2: Yeah, so uh, I think there's no escape from, from finding a really good data availability solution, and, and saying we just put all the data on chain because this is like the safest is won't hold.
0: Got it. Okay, so it sounds like this is not—it's not like you guys did a one-off partnership and then it's over. It sounds like there's still a lot of work going on. So I'm curious to hear, like, what else is happening? What's what's going to be coming as you move
1: forward? Absolutely. I mean, entirely the premise behind this, and I think what makes it such a strong partnership is that. You know, diversify is specialized on exchange, self custody exchange, and equally, you know, Starkware is specialized in the scaling solution. And so, the, the combined effort means that we can move very quickly. And part of the plan is to keep you know pushing out changes and improvements over the next however long. Um, and and one of the ones that's planned soonest, and which is actually the thing I'm personally most excited about, is basically an upgrade which allows essentially better and faster communication between layer one being ethereum and layer two being essentially you know where these balances are held off chain and so the the simplest example of this is that right now one of the you know common problems for someone who wants to use any layer two exchange including diversify is that because of this batching system Actually, you may have to, let's say you want to withdraw funds out of the system, you have to wait for the next batch to be complete before you can get your funds out. And because there's a cost per batch, actually, right now, a batch may be only every hour or even less often, because we want to make sure there's a certain number of transactions included in that batch. And so if you want to withdraw your funds, you have to wait. Now, this upgrade, which I think I'll let uh, Tom talk about the kind of real in-depth, Cryptography behind how the, the, the proofs work basically allows you to have a conditional proof that says, for example, I, I want to withdraw funds from diversified and I want to get it right now. Once someone, someone can send funds on-chain directly to the to, to the user, and they can sign this transaction that's valid in the next proof that says, okay, in return, I will. So let's say they're withdrawing five five Ethereum. In return, I will transfer five Ethereum on by to whoever sent that on-chain transaction. Um, and it, But it will only be valid if I receive my five, five Ethereum on-chain you know, within a certain amount of time. And so that then allows you to have direct interaction between you know, this like on-chain transactions and the proof off-chain. And that actually can be extended even further to mean that you can have direct interaction between any DeFi sort of protocol on-chain and and trades on diversified so let's say you want to deposit funds into compound to earn interest you could again do a conditional transaction to say like let's say someone else has funds on chain that they deposit into compound you could receive those in diversify and vice versa which allows all sorts of arbitrage opportunities and basically um meaning that this layer 2 system is no longer sort of isolated and separated from all of this exciting stuff that's going on in the rest of DeFi. it can become fully integrated and have all the same sort of interactions that um, that can happen with other protocols. So, I mean, to me, that's basically the the big missing piece right now in terms of layer two, because you kind of make this trade off to say, yes, it's scalable, but it's no longer connected with all of this sort of, you know, money, Lego type stuff that everyone is you know going crazy about. Finally, we kind of connect the two. Cool. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I think, I mean, I share the excitement of, uh, of Will because I mean, as I've said at the beginning, um, DEXS was um, re- really matured last, last year, and now we have a scaling solution for them. And I mean, the next step will be to, to connect this scaling solution with the, with the whole ecosystem. Um, so what we actually constructed is, is a way to condition an off-chain transaction um, on an on-chain transaction. Okay. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the easiest example is it is actually exist in the system today, right? If Diversify wants to send, uh, to, to tell us off-chain, uh, this user deposited, I don't know, 5 ETH, then the proof will only be accepted on-chain if an actual deposit transaction happened on-chain. Right? Diversify can tell us um, this user deposited and the proof... uh the proof won't be accepted if a real deposit uh, didn't happen on chain, right? can can first we can't...
0: part, that's how it is currently in that first sort of element. That's, that's the way it is.
2: Yes, and exactly. The first, so the this, first this, this...
0: action. That's how it is. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, w- w- and, and, and now we can expand this idea to basically any transaction on chain, um, so as Will said, the fast withdrawal is, is you. Conditioning an off-chain transfer on an on-chain transfer, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm saying I will give you Anna um, five ether on-chain only if you will give me five ether on-chain. Off-chain. Uh, it depends. Uh, oh, i yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, I- <laughs> Sorry, <Okay. laughs> say <it> again. <laughs> yeah. So let's say I want to uh, um, to get my money on-chain very fast. And you're you you know a big liquidity provider um, with the zk validator, um, so <laughs> I want to uh, get my money get my five ETH on chain. So I condition my my transfer to you off chain on the fact that you uh, transferred uh, ETH to me on chain. So so you get this transaction, it's signed, it's valid. You know you can you can include it in the proof. All 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 you need to do is transfer me the funds on-chain. Once you did this, we can include it in a proof and the proof will be valid because the proof guarantee that it will only be accepted if this transaction really happened on-chain. And what Will said is is very nice because the transaction can be any Ethereum transaction. So I can condition an off-chain operation based on any on-chain transaction.
0: Cool. I mean, the potential there. Like, I, what what do you think could be built out of that? Like, what kind of systems?
2: So, I, I mean, I'm very excited about it because it's 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 a, it's an infrastructure that we will include in the next version that will allow basically uh, the developer community to make innovations for the system, right? Because anybody can write those types. I mean, the way the way we do it is that you deploy a contract and and you do this operation through this contract so basically anybody will be able to to write a contract i mean you have a, a new idea and you want to 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 provide it to diversify and exchange uh, to diversify users in exchange for some fees then you will just be able to implement it the same way DeFi works today right this is not i mean it's it sounds good but it's
1: it's yeah yeah a it's permissionless innovation like unleashed again where whereas that wasn't really possible before on layer two um just like the way that it's happening in, in DeFi now, where people come up with ideas like flash loans and you know, all, and, and anything that they want, and suddenly they can all interact together. And, and I think some of the things that I'm most excited about are definitely going to be to start with, you know, quite simple, just allowing people to interact with le- borrowing and lending protocols, for example, to take long and short positions on Diversify instead of only long positions. Um, you know, Right now you can yeah. only buy a token, you couldn't come and short it, um, but you know, if you can interact essentially on chain with borrowing, borrowing platforms, then suddenly you can do that on Diversify. Um, but yeah, as Tom said, you know, the, the real, the most exciting piece is that anyone can actually start to come up with other ways of doing these interactions. And I think that will create a whole, whole range of opportunities that most people haven't, or we, we suddenly haven't thought of yet. Yeah.
0: Exciting. That's cool. Well, I guess it sounds like it's a, it's a project to keep, keep our eye on. Congrats on this launch and everything.
2: Thank you very much. Cool.
0: So this is this sounds amazing. I'm really excited to see what comes next.
2: Me too. <laughs> I really get to speak.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it um, was a
2: real honor uh, being here. <laughs> <laughs> very Thank cool.
0: You. Okay, and to our listeners, thanks for listening.